everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, and it's time for another edition of the Needle Drop Podcast, our weekly review roundup podcast where we bring you the best and the most essential segments from the Needle Drop channel, from the Fantano channel throughout the week. All right, so here we have a couple of very negative reviews uh, this week, one of the new Nav Project, Bad Habits, we're talking about it, also Logic's latest album slash soundtrack that sees him making an attempt at writing uh, some alternative rock, some acoustic rock, some indie pop, it's a bit of a nightmare, we're talking about it. We're also going to bring up a few important segments that have uh, addressed some interesting things in the news. Uh, one, the rap artist known as Little Nas X, his crossover country viral hit Old Town Road is not being allowed on the Billboard charts. We will talk about why. Also, the Warner Music label has decided uh, that they're going to sign uh, not an artist, but an algorithm making music. We're going to be talking about that. Also, a few positive reviews up my sleeve. Uh, one of the new Stella Donnelly record, the Australian singer-songwriter, has Delivered on this one, one of the better indie projects I've heard so far this year. Uh, you'll hear about that as well as the new American football album, LP3, their third self-titled record. The legendary Midwestern emo group is back. And, uh, you know, the the new record has uh, uh, some interesting, lush, and, and beautiful textures worked into the production there. Uh, so that's going to be it for this episode. Strap in, get ready. The Needle Drop Podcast, ba-bam! Uh, this Nav album, it's not good. Nav is a songwriter, rapper, and auto-crooner from the great country of Canada. This is his latest full-length album. I first heard of this dude back in 2017 through his self-titled LP. This album didn't really strike me as anything special at the time, and there wasn't really any reason uh, to kind of ring the alarms just hearing another forgettable, nondescript, auto-croon trap record. I hear so many of those week in and week out. Again, hearing another one wasn't really a big deal around the time this record came out. I mostly remember focusing on other things. Shortly after the release of this record, we had the Nav and Metro Boomin collab, Perfect Timing. And then in 2018, Nav's profile seemed to grow with the release of his next full-length album, Reckless, which I did end up covering. I said the album was not good. And the reason I ended up talking about this record was the hype building behind Nav on this album. Let me put it this way. When it comes to Nav's last full-length album, I, I'm not really sure if there's a nice thing I can say. The instrumentals and the beat choices Nav makes on this record absolutely suck. Totally bland, totally run-of-the-mill, nothing fun or exciting or hard-hitting or even intoxicating about them. I'm not saying Nav's instrumentals are like the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, but there's absolutely, positively, nothing special about them whatsoever. Then let's move on to Nav's singing, his rapping, the vocals generally, which are about as expressionless as I think current day vocals in hip-hop get. During a time when it seems like rappers are doing everything they can to stand out and be wild and be crazy and scream their brains out and go absolutely mad, Nav is kind of an anomaly. I actually likened his vocals on his last record to that of a robot mimicking the sound of a human 
human voice. When it comes to the substance of Nab's songs, uh, there's not really anything particularly special about that either. Just very by the numbers and run-of-the-mill braggadocio and uh, delusions of grandeur, which is typical for this style of music, typical for this genre. Not necessarily a bad thing, but typically bold claims in hip-hop come along with bold wordplay, bold flows, bold personalities that make it all kind of believable. Now, I know up until this point, I've been talking a lot about Nav's sound, his style, his last album, and the reason I've hung in this area for so long is that pretty much everything that applies to Nav's last record also applies to this new album over here. His voice is still incredibly nasal, incredibly flat, horrid, emotionless, absolutely boring. At this moment in time, I still cannot name a more boring rapper and singer in hip-hop than Nav. I think Nav is hip-hop's most non-essential character at the moment. There's absolutely nothing that his music, his sound, his style brings to the table. He picks the most run-of-the-mill, forgettable beats. His songs and their structures are very plain, very basic. The energy he brings to his songs is for the most part, non-existent. I guess what I can give Nav on this album is that there are some bars and lines that are unintentionally funny, like on the track I'm Ready, where he literally says, what's the game without me? Like, you literally bring nothing to the game right now. On top of it, you, like, quit a while ago. Like, you claimed that you were quitting music and the entire internet clowned you. If Nav never came out with another album ever again, the game would look exactly the same. It would progress the exact same way. Arguably, Nav's biggest point of exposure was at the end of that Travis Scott song where everybody made a huge joke of how low he was mixed. Also, on the track Taking Chances, Nav drops this bar about selling his soul. But if Nav has had a soul, I have not heard it yet, not on one of his songs. He has the audacity to put a song on this thing titled Price on My Head. And this song actually features The Weeknd, who delivers, believe it or not, an absolutely horrid feature. Throughout his vocal passages, he's kind of like slipping back and forth in between this falsetto, castrato vocal range, and it's ugh. Easily some of the worst vocals he's laid to tape. But still, even with me not caring for Abel's voice that much on this track, hearing him is actually kind of a breath of fresh air from the soulless and monotone and absolutely mind-numbing rapping and singing from Nav for the duration of this album. In fact, nearly every feature on this record is a nice breath of fresh air from Nav's horridly boring voice. Meek Mill provides a pretty decent feature on here, and Young Thug goes way harder on this record than he ever really needed to. He also admits uh, to wanting to have sex with his aunt, so, you know, there's there's also that. There's an unexpected beat switch on this track that miraculously somehow makes the song worse. You would figure it would be the opposite given just how one-dimensional most of the songs on this thing are and that uh, maybe a switch would kind of bring a nice change of pace, make the songs on this thing more dynamic, but uh, no, it, it actually becomes more difficult to listen to. Sadly, the album doesn't get any better as it progresses in its final moments. The song Why You Cryin' Mama, despite the lyrics being as heartfelt and as personal as they are, Nav doesn't really put any more heart into this track than he does any other song here. It's just as flat and as boring and as sonically nondescript as the rest of the record. I will say the closing track and the track Your Runners, both of these songs have beats that go relatively hard, much harder than some of the other cuts on the record. And Nab brings some decent flows to these songs as well, but Jesus, like, he really does need more than just, like, an okay flow and an okay beat 
to get by. There needs to be something there interesting in terms of the lyrics. It doesn't even need to be deep or substantive or conscious or anything like that. I don't know, something clever, something funny, an observation of some type, something titillating or exciting or fun. And still, just the vocal delivery is absolutely drab. Honestly, I'm in a really weird place right now because I want to say that Nav is the most forgettable rapper working today. But I feel like in how uniquely forgettable and run-of-the-mill he is, he somehow has created an identity. He is unique in that he literally has so little going for him artistically speaking. He's like so devoid of anything interesting going on in his music it's, it's actually kind of shocking. Yeah, honestly shocked. Despite how many songs and how many projects this guy has under his belt, and he still cannot <laughs> come up with a compelling track. If you put a gun in my mouth and you told me to write down the characteristics of a Nav song, the only thing I could think to write down would be just make sure nothing absolutely stands out and just make sure you have a very tiny nasally voice with an utter lack of emotion. I mean, some people have tried to sell me on the idea that, hey, this new record of his, it's, it's his best record, it's better than his last album, but, but no, it, this still sucks. Maybe the beats are a bit bigger and they hide the flaws of Nav's voice a bit better, but geez, like, that's it. <laughs> this new Logic album, it's, uh... It's, it's not good. This is the latest full-length album from Maryland rap artist Logic, which I'm not even sure if uh, it's fair to call this an album because he's also kind of categorizing it as a soundtrack because Logic is not only just a rapper now, he's also like a novelist. He has just come out with a novel titled Supermarket, and this is essentially the soundtrack to it. I guess this marriage of mediums isn't totally weird for Logic, considering that there is a bit of an underlying story on a couple of his past records. Not something that necessarily impacts heavily the themes behind his songs, but, you know, interstitial narrative bits uh, that portray characters kind of reflecting on how great Logic was and how he changed the game and so on and so forth. I remember his 2017 record, Everybody Ending with a Weird Sci-Fi Bit, featuring Neil deGrasse Tyson, where you had the main character of the story living these many lives and many experiences of different people. But now with Supermarket, I guess you see a more direct marriage between the music and the narrative. In a way, I see what Logic is doing here as not being that much different than what Childish Gambino did, with his Because the Internet record dropping a batch of songs meant to soundtrack a screenplay he released at the same time. But this is not anything I want to dwell over too much in this review, because the narrative, the story, the book, all of that stuff has little to no impact on my feelings on this project. Really what makes Supermarket difficult to swallow is that this is a huge stylistic, you know, change of pace for Logic. Yes, Supermarket is partially a rap album. Logic does rap over a great deal of the songs on this record, and there are lots of choruses. Uh, on this thing that are pulled from other rap songs, whether you're talking about uh, Biz Marquis, Just a Friend, or uh, A Tribe Called Quest, Can I Kick It? Which is nothing new for Logic in the grander scheme of things, as he is very low on originality most of the time, pulling a lot of his ideas very blatantly and very directly from his contemporaries, as well as old-school hip-hop acts as well. It was something that early on in his career I saw as kind of admirable, in that, hey, this dude is uh, super versatile, but then as he continued to grow in profile, it became painfully 
obvious that, yeah, he's borrowing a lot of ideas, but he's not really crafting any of them into uh, anything refreshing or even close to a, a cutting edge or original. At the end of the day, it's really more of a crutch for Logic's lack of creativity. And that same lack of creativity carries over as Logic decides that he is going to write pop rock songs and acoustic rock songs and indie rock songs. Yes, that is literally what he is doing on this album. In a way, it's kind of like his uh, speeding bullet to heaven. As his attempts here to cross over into these genres absolutely suck. The production and instrumentals all over this thing are either very plain and dry and flat, lack any sort of textural flavor, just very bare acoustic guitars that a lot of the time aren't even played all that well. There are obvious blemishes in the playing, uh, which, hey, you know, sometimes that happens in lo-fi indie and indie rock, but yet the recording on this thing is so clean and pristine, it doesn't really complement the somewhat mediocre playing style. Sometimes the mixing on these tracks isn't even that good. The sudden breakbeat transition on Bohemian Trapsody, <laughs> the drums on that are, are way louder than they need to be. On the track I'm probably gonna rock your world, the synths there are mixed into the cut like a bull in a china shop. They just kind of crash into everything in a really horrid way. Just taking up way too much room in the mix. But honestly, the worst thing about the tracks on this thing uh, it is just really the songwriting and Logic's singing, his lyricism. I mean, we've known Logic in the past to not be the best lyricist in hip-hop. He can write some funny, clever one-liners here and there, and he's certainly capable of focusing on a topic and, and even uh, coming off kind of emotionally compelling, especially when he's touching down on a significant issue like suicide. But goddamn, the lyrics on this album are insipid, they're trite, they're disgusting, they're straight trash. The song By the Bridge, I think, is one of the best examples of awful lyricism on this LP, in that it features pretty much every lyrical cliche in the book, and the song means next to nothing. Maybe Logic sees this track as tying in effectively to a point in the book that means a bit more and it brings in context, but seriously, reading into the lyrics of this track, we do have this kind of narrative device of finding a dead body by the bridge. That's kind of a, a very dramatic point of focus in the song. But then Logic surrounds this point with just a bunch of faux deep filler that just kind of gives me a headache. Logic is singing, why isn't anybody listening? Then he's singing about searching inside his soul, uh, being let go. He's searching more and searching more. Oh, now spreading your wings taking a leap. It's just like I'm listening to a bunch of metaphors that add up to literally nothing. And when Logic isn't putting hollow metaphors out there, he's just throwing out cringy stories, like on the title track of this thing, which yes, in the track he does admit that this behavior isn't cool or admirable, but uh, the song is essentially about just kind of creeping on this girl you have a crush on at the supermarket that she works at. There's also an awful lyric on this track that is like a blatant Radiohead reference that's, ugh, Jesus Christ. We also have Logic singing about taking a time machine back to save somebody, but they just like die anyway on the song Time Machine. It's like I'm listening to a bad Bizarro version of Neutral Milk Hotel, and I cannot think of the song, what is it, Pretty Young Girl? without laughing at the lyrics, like, in, in my head. Pretty young girl, doing pretty young things. She's a pretty young lady, pulling out my heartstrings. Also, the chord progression on this thing and the way the strings just sort of rush in in the second leg of the track, like, wh what do you think, this is a Pixies song? Get the hell out of my 
face. There's so many points on this record where you can hear that Logic is just directly ripping off other pop rock and, and, and alternative rock songs. The instrumental and vocals on the track just sound like a really old, bad Radiohead song. Like something off their first record that hardcore fans just don't really take seriously now. Lemon Drop uh, not only features the stomach-churning lyrics of, um, oh god, I, I can't say it. How many licks to lick your Lemon Drop? How many licks to lick your drop drop? Uh, ah, ah, ah. But also the instrumental, the groove, nearly everything about this track, including Logic's vocals, is just a blatant Red Hot Chili Peppers ripoff. Maybe there's like a mix of Pharrell in there somewhere, but for the most part it sounds like Sex Magic Red Hot Chili Peppers mixed with a bit of like Californication Red Hot Chili Peppers. The song Vacation from Myself features Logic literally just doing his best Mac DeMarco impression. Everything from his voice to the slinky and chill, laid-back, relaxing, soft rock instrumentation in the background, it's its all just Mac DeMarco. And from what I've read online, Mac DeMarco literally had a hand in the instrumental and production. And I'm just wondering, like, how does that conversation go? Does Logic approach Mac DeMarco and say, hey man, I have an album coming out and kind of doing a bit of a rock and pop thing on it, and I want a song on the record that sounds exactly like you, but I want to sing it. Can you just do an instrumental for me so I can do that on my album? I hope Mac DeMarco got a big fat check out of uh, taking part in this awful Logic album and allowing Logic to do bad Mac DeMarco karaoke on his own record because I don't really see the artistic merit in just helping another artist rip you off on their record. So disgusting corny lyrics, blatant rip-offs, annoying stories and narratives, flat, bland, run-of-the-mill, boring instrumentation. You have moments like The Closer, which while I do appreciate the grand instrumental and vocal layers on that track, what a friggin' patronizing song. I think you're beautiful, I think you're funny, I think you're smart, don't give a f about the money. Ugh, I just catch awful whiffs from Coldplay and maybe like some bad acoustic ballads from Green Day. You know, as bad as Speeding Bullet to Heaven was, one thing that I could appreciate about Kid Cudi's efforts on that record was that, you know, they were pretty raw and at least it seemed like he had decent taste in alternative rock and grunge. He was pulling from interesting points of inspiration. He also had the talent and the artistry to pen some lyrics that were maybe a bit abstract, sure laughable at points, but at least abstract and strange, kind of evocative. On the flip side, with Supermarket, nearly everything Logic says on this record is either blatantly on the nose or utterly meaningless. Also, the mix of sources Logic is so obviously ripping off on this record, to me, displays just a, a very basic and bland view of rock music. Like, if you're gonna make a sudden transition into this genre, and the first artist you're going to pull inspiration from are like the Pixies, Radiohead, Mac DeMarco, <laughs> and Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's, um, let me try to put it this way. If Jack White came out with a hip hop album tomorrow and it basically just sounded like all he listened to was uh, Biggie and Jay-Z, yeah, that'd be pretty funny. And we would not be laughing with Jack White, we would be laughing 
at him. Yeah, there is not a single track on this thing that I think is good, whether you're talking about the dreamy, almost kind of a chill, wavy atmospheres of DeLorean, the sickening, cloying, dramatic, acoustic, and atmospheric aesthetic of I'm Probably Gonna Rock Your World, which is a track for me that is doubly disgusting because it, you know, makes me think of, of Logic's O face, and, and that's the last thing I want in my head. We are in truly sad times right now. This is the wrong timeline. I'm not really sure if I have anything else to say about this project other than that, but damn, uh, Logic really outdid himself this time. In, in, in a way. Sure, I could go into some of the awful and corny bars that Logic drops throughout this album when he does manage to throw a rap verse in. Uh, some of the beat transitions during those moments are okay. In fact, I would say those spots make for the most tolerable points on the album, but they are so few and far between. That is just merely a side dish to the main focus of this album. And it is, again, Logic's songwriting or lack thereof. I am going to leave it at that. This Logic project, it's not good. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. You can hear the disappointment in my voice on account of what I'm about to talk about. Rap artist, sort of rap artist, Lil Nas X. He has had a pretty viral track circling around the internet for a little while now. Maybe uh, it came out a little bit after the video game Red Dead Redemption uh, dropped because uh, I think part of the hype behind the track was tied to that video game. But this track, making the rounds on YouTube, making the rounds on Instagram, as well as TikTok, I've caught it a few times here and there, but I wasn't quite aware of just how viral the song was. But it's pretty funny, tongue-in-cheek banger with a very straightforward trap beat and some banjos and country guitars sampled in the background. Lil Nas delivers a couple of very short but funny verses. There is also a fantastically sung country fried chorus on the track that's a little soaked in reverb. I mean, it's a pretty bold and clear fusion of of hip hop and country, and I wouldn't necessarily say that one genre overtakes the other or anything. You know, it's it's a very even marriage of the two styles of music. I mean, sure, it's it's meant to be kind of tongue in cheek and silly. Uh, there is a playful comedic tone to the lyrics of the track, but honestly, if you just handed me the instrumentals of this thing, uh, there wouldn't really be anything inherently funny about it. I don't really think there's anything inherently funny about the chorus of the song either. It's a well-sung chorus. It's a relatively well-produced track. It's a pretty decent combo of country and hip-hop today. So I wasn't really aware this song was miraculously climbing up the country charts, along with a few others, but honestly, that doesn't surprise me considering the fusion of genres on this track. I consider the inclusion of country sounds on this song to be uh, very honest and kind of artful, even if, again, the track is meant to be kind of comedic. But the song has been pulled from the country charts. Uh, as Genius and many other outlets have reported, uh, Billboard explained that the song doesn't embrace enough elements of today's country music. What the hell does that even mean? That's so friggin' vague and completely unfair. What exactly are the elements and the checkboxes that need to be hit 
in order for a song to be worthy of the country charts. And what are even the elements of today's country music? I mean, country has changed and evolved, I would argue, in many cases for the worse, but still changed and evolved in multiple ways over the years. It's not exactly like new artists today sound like Willie Nelson or Dolly Parton or Johnny Cash. And in these various stages of evolution, country has embraced a lot of sounds and musical ideas outside of the country sphere. One of the biggest records in the country world right now is that new Casey Musgraves LP, and that's basically country for indie kids. And it's funny that I ran across this story because I just so happened to uh, watch this YouTube video uh, by this dude who goes by the name of Grady Smith. It's a pretty decent video. It's kind of thoughtful, and uh, it's it's titled, This Beat is Killing Country Music. And what Grady talks about in this video is this prevalence of these snap beats uh, that are very popular in the country top 200. They're basically taking the genre by storm, replacing the trend of bro country. And when you look at the production of these snap country beats, these instrumentals are directly ripping off modern hip-hop production. And when you look at the vocal lines that a lot of these douchey bros are singing on top of these snap beats, they just sound like they're lifted out of R&B songs and given a bit of a, a southern twang. So we already have songs on the country charts right now that are fusing the genre with elements of hip-hop and R&B. And what's just not being defined here is how far outside the corral is too far. When exactly are you not making a country song anymore? When exactly are you making a hip-hop song. I mean, there have been plenty of country artists over the years who have successfully charted and have made hit records who have fused country and soul, and they've been on the charts, and country and rock, and they've been on the charts. Why are we talking about a song being pulled when it's suddenly country and hip-hop? This is absolutely stupid. This is just stupid. There's no excuse for this. Because it can't be a matter of the song being kind of silly or tongue-in-cheek. Not only has Billboard not cited that as a reason, but also, it's not like we don't have stupid songs like this charting on the country charts. You're telling me this track is like a pure country track that should be on the country charts, and yet, uh, Old Town Road is just like, it's it's too far out there. And it's not like country music throughout its entire history has been this genre that's just taken itself super seriously. Loads of artists from the world of outlaw country are pretty famous for not doing that. And the argument on this just not sounding enough like a country song doesn't make that much sense either because you've had country hip-hop fusions on the country charts charting before. It's just kind of preposterous that country artists are able to rip off hip-hop rip off R&B and benefit off of ripping that off amongst country audiences, but you can't be a hip hop artist or an R&B artist and embrace a little bit of country and then just slip onto the country charts. It would seem that lone country song off of Beyonce's Lemonade record can't even land on the country charts either. In fact, when she performed at the CMAs with the Dixie Chicks, it became the target of backlash. Look, I'm not sure what to say at this point other than this song is not being included in the country charts because a lot of the culture surrounding country is cancer. And that's just straight up. I mean, I enjoy and absolutely love a lot of old school country music, a lot of the new school country music on the more alternative side of things. But this very insular section of American music has it all wrong if they can't just let this silly little joke song climb up on their chart for a second, especially given, again, you have so many new country artists who are just ripping off hip-hop and ripping off R&B left and right. So I'm going to leave it at that. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh, the end is near. Oh, what a world. It's over. Oh, we're all going to die. Hi, everyone. It is time for a bit of a rant about music 
and AI. First, I want to tell you that I have a, a little tour coming up. Look at how little it is. It's right there. It's so little. It's a baby. Uh, but that hasn't stopped us from uh, selling out the first date over here in Vancouver. Uh, we also have dates in Seattle, Portland, San Fran, LA, and San Diego coming up in May. Tickets down below. Grab them while you can. Okay. So Warner Music Group has signed, uh, essentially AI has signed an algorithm kind of as an artist. Uh, Endel, which is a music app that builds music for your moods. Uh, it's, it's essentially been brought into the fold by the label. Uh, Consequence of Sound, who is not the only uh, platform reporting on this, has been great enough to, uh, I guess, sort of provide some uh, clips and, and sounds from the app. And a lot of people have been freaking out about this, saying, oh my God, they're replacing artists. And and certainly this is worrying. I think that uh, a lot of artists out there, and rightfully so, fear uh, being replaced by robots and programs and ones and zeros, and there won't be any need for songwriters or producers or anything anymore because uh, whatever app you're using will just kind of do all of it for you. Uh, however, I, I kind of doubt that that's going to be the case anytime soon, that you're going to have um, AI that is going to be uh, as artistically intuitive as uh, as a human being and whether or not machines or uh, uh, algorithms will be able to kind of bring new sounds and trends, ideas into the fold as opposed to just kind of copying or mimicking uh, what music and, and sounds that uh, programmers have been able to feed into uh, whatever app or algorithm they are presenting to consumers. Um, I wouldn't freak out too hard about this as of right now because basically the purpose of this app is to provide wallpaper music, background music, that sort of thing. Uh, we've already seen, unfortunately, uh, platforms like Spotify not really respecting these styles of music in the way that uh, maybe they should with uh, just throwing like you know, no-name Muzak artists into playlists uh, that are supposed to be, you know, for ambient artists and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and now it seems like that territory is being encroached upon further. Uh, however, after sampling numerous tracks that have been presented here <laughs> by this app, honestly, they sound kind of like shit. It's, it sounds bad. It does not sound good. It sort of sounds like very generic, kind of lo-fi ghostly chords and tones just sort of slapped together with some white noise. I wouldn't really play it in any other context other than it's literally just on in the background and I'm not paying any attention to it whatsoever. However, uh, if I was going to do something like that, I, I think I would want something with a bit better of a mood than this. Uh, there are some elements of it that just sound like a really bad you know, Tim Hecker rave death <laughs> ripoff. Um, and it, again, it's just absolute uh, kind of trash in my opinion. However, I, I do uh, sort of salute Warner a little bit for uh, uh, kind of jumping ahead of the curve here and thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe this algorithm stuff, maybe this AI stuff is the future. And I think audiences, uh, while there are a lot of artists out there who will freak out at this headline, I do think audiences generally uh, will be receptive to exactly this kind of thing if it's being presented to them in a way where, 
hey, you know, this isn't your favorite singer-songwriter. This isn't Frank Ocean. This isn't something that's going to move you. It's just, it's utilitarian, you know. It's just chill-out music. It's just, you know, mind-numbing, do-nothing, you know, just relax-type music. If you uh, sort of sell audiences on this music serving more of a functional purpose than an emotional purpose, I think a lot of people won't really have any reservations with listening to it, even though, like... Um, you know, a, a robot or an algorithm or a program made it necessarily. However, is that sort of the first step in the wrong direction? You know, will that put us in a position where you do have some people who uh, sort of gain an emotional dependence or an affinity for this music, even though it is made by a robot, and that sort of puts them in a position where they're open to hear more music made by algorithms. And down the road, maybe the algorithms get even better and start making more compelling music compositionally and, and maybe are able to incorporate like an emotional component into what they're doing. And then before you know it, uh, all of our pop stars are, are algorithms. Maybe that's the road we're headed down here. I'm not entirely sure, but a few things to contemplate. Would that not put us in a position where essentially the programmers of the algorithm or the programmers of whatever this software is, that they essentially become the artists? Because that's really who's being signed here, essentially, either the programmers or the company that made the program. They are essentially the artists. They are essentially the people who are going to be paid. You're not going to like turn on the news one day and then all of a sudden like an algorithm's out there jumping out of a limo. They're stunting. They're looking fresh. They've spent $200,000 on a chain. Though I do wonder if we're moving toward a future where the programmers of the algorithm become the new pop stars and they're the ones who are like really sexy and they're the people who we idolize. Oh my God. But still, even if you do have more labels signing more apps that are creating utilitarian ambient music and relaxation soundtracks, I still think that puts us in a future where there's going to be room for that and there's also going to be room for like Mac DeMarco. When we get to the point where AI and algorithms can artistically do everything that humans do and also come up with new things that humans are not coming up with, uh, and those things are actually hitting with audiences. Until all of that stuff is occurring, I'm not sure we need to freak out. But still, I do find this story and this concept kind of interesting, and it does, I think, put a lot of people, especially in the ambient music world, uh, in a sort of precarious situation because, honestly, I would hate to think of somebody listening to <laughs> this record and, and loving it and it being like a part of their usual everyday musical diet. Uh, and yet there are so many other more compelling ambient releases out there, honestly, which I think would serve as even better mood setters than the handful of tracks I, I heard off of uh, what Endel has, has offered here. <sighs> and it's time for a review of the new Stella Donnelly album, Beware of the Dogs. This is the debut full-length album of Australian singer-songwriter and secretly Canadian signee Stella Donnelly, whose record here has been turning a lot of heads in the indie scene. Even I was pretty impressed with how fun and catchy lead-up tracks like Tricks were on this record. Now, I admit I wasn't really tuned into what Stella was doing back in 2017 on her Thrush Metal EP, but her sound still felt eerily familiar once I actually got the opportunity opportunity to hear this entire album. On the instrumental side of this LP, you're looking at some pretty standard 
soft, sometimes jangly indie rock and pop. The guitars and drums on this thing usually fall somewhere on a spectrum between the slick, easygoing, and sweet sounds of Mac DeMarco, but then also the dreamy, euphoric synth-pop vibes of Beach House on Bistro and Watching Telly. Then there are a handful of cuts that are super stripped back to some very lonely guitars and Stella's very nasal and kind of polite vocal delivery, which does lead to a few sleepier moments on the record, in my opinion. There are a few spots where I'm just wanting more from the instrumentals on this album. Uh, the song Lunch is a prime example where Stella vocally is really selling the track, but the instrumental utterly fails to escalate the emotion of the song to give her singing more impact. And there are a few tracks on here that feel heavily indebted to the jangle pop and twee pop of the 1980s. The songs die as well as see Seasons Greetings, tracks that don't exactly provide a new spin on these sounds, but they are a few of the most fun and peppy tracks on the entire record. The performances aren't that bad either, they do a pretty decent job of recapturing a sound and a vibe. There is a bit of standout soloing and melody writing as well, especially on the song Tricks, where some of the guitar playing seems to be purposely ridiculous. Stella's singing on this record does have some high points, but I'm not completely sold on it either. I do like the youthful and kind of girlish tone, but the there's not a whole lot of presence to it, at least some of the time, because I do think there are a good deal of performances here where she does come through with a lot of emotional conviction. She digs deep, she gets shouty or even laughs mid-performance. I think the title track on this thing is actually a great example of Stella showing off quite a bit of, of anger and emotion and, and, and volume and pitch control. The tracks on this album I love the most are the ones where Stella comes through with the most commanding vocal performances. Honestly, the songs where she's more subdued and feels more emotionless than emotional uh, just don't do too much for me. But I'm not trying to tear this album down from front to back or anything like that. I know I've been uh, sort of talking about a lot of my gripes with it. I actually like this record overall, even if it does come off a little bland on the surface, because I think Stella's greatest talents on this album really come through on her songwriting, her ability to focus on a topic, and I do think she creates a bit of a lane for herself with the themes on this album. There are quite a few songs here approaching things like sexism and the gender divide, the way these things are sort of reinforced culturally through religion and traditional values. We also have the opening track old man, which seems to center around this sexist guy's advances and creepo behavior. There's also the chilling boys will be boys, which focuses on just excusing rape and rape culture. Also, there are some tracks on this thing that focus on young crushes as well as love on the rocks with some odd situations and reference points. The song Mosquito has Stella showing off this intense sexual desire for this person she has in mind. From masturbation fantasies to comparing herself to a malaria mosquito just circling around a light that she's obsessed with, and also wanting to bring this person a cake, but they're allergic, and this isn't the only time on the album that allergies sort of turn up in a romance scenario. They also do on the song Allergies. Want to go back once again to the song Tricks, which I absolutely love. The connection Stella has to the person she's focusing on with this track I'm not entirely sure of. She's obviously hanging around this person. It seems like it could be physical, but the standpoint from where she's singing, she clearly sees this person as ridiculous, as she consistently highlights his totally detestable behavior, and even points out things about him like his Southern Cross tattoo, which if you know anything about Straya, it's, it's a pretty, you know, tacky tattoo choice. Also, I love the lyrical bit on this track where she should have rhymed with the F word, but then she says, uh, you know, you want to get laid. And it turns into this like stretched out, weird, reverby, psychedelic 
transition. You know, Stella shows a real knack on this record for being able to approach these really dark and emotional and, and super significant topics, but then also being able to tie in these songs that bring a lot of levity to this album, show quite a bit of humor, show her being kind of cheeky, which adds to the personality factor of this album a lot. As far as modern indie pop and rock goes, Beware of the Dogs is a solid record. Hopefully in the future from Stella we get bolder instrumental choices and ideas that do a better job to support and reflect the unique stories and lyrical angles that she presents in her songs. At its best, this album is captivating, it is heart-wrenching, it is quirky, it is sweet. At its worst, it's a little generic and kind of underwhelming, or even underwritten, like on the song Bistro, which lyrically just kind of reads like an elongated filler motif right in the middle of the record. The issues that I have with this album I mostly chalk up to debut record blues, to Stella still being in a position where she's kind of finding her sound. Regardless, there's a lot of great raw talent on this thing, and easily some of the best indie rock and pop I've heard in 2019. I'm feeling a decent to strong seven on this one. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new American football self-titled album LP3, uh, yeah. Another self-titled album from the legendary Illinois emo outfit American Football, who just released the comeback to their 1999 album just a few years ago in 2016, which was also self-titled. I was not a huge fan of the band's return album a few years ago. That's that's been made clear. And I don't think I was the only person who enjoyed American football's earlier material that was kind of disappointed. The band is known to be mellow, yes, but the sound of this return album was incredibly flaccid, not just in terms of performance, but also just songwriting quality. And like any major band that has put out some good music, takes a break, comes back with a so-so record, I walked away from this album hoping that they would stick with it, and just improve down the road. And I think LP3 is actually that improvement. But for sure, American Football, they're not writing barn burners on this one. Still, Mike Kinsella and company do return with a prettier and a fuller sound that I think kind of modernizes the sparkly and euphoric but also melancholy vibe that American Football is known for. There's actually something so pristine and kind of sterile about the sound of the tracks on this record, it kind of reminds me of the work of Ben Gibbard, whether you're talking about uh, his Postal Service stuff or his years with Death Cab for Cutie after the band kind of made their mainstream transition. There's also a pretty large influx of fairly gorgeous arranged instrumentation thrown into the mix on this thing, like the strings and vocal harmonies and even vibraphones that are worked into the opening track silhouettes. Steve Somehow. on drums gives this lush ocean of instrumentation a strong and a crisp rhythmic backbone. I think without it, these tracks would feel kind of blobby. And generally across the entire album, there is a great balance between the sharp percussion on this thing, the rich instrumentation and vocals thrown on top. There are also a few nice changes of pace provided by some guest singers brought into the fold on this album. A few who come from bands who no doubt have been greatly inspired by the early work of American football, whether you're talking about Elizabeth Powell of the band Land of Talk, whose French refrains on the track Every Wave to Ever Rise bring a nice chilly breeze into this track's multi-phased and progressively dreary structure. Toward the back end of this track, there's a lot of repetition. It gently intensifies like a really good classic post-rock song, which is not really surprising considering the band's early work kind of dabbled in that sound, as American Football was definitely not a meat and potatoes emo band. I love even more hearing Haley Williams of Paramore fame on the track Uncomfortably Numb, really the record's most straightforward and catchy tune. Uncomfortably numb. For whatever reason, 
isn't another moment on the album where Kinsella's incredibly gentle, youthful, light voice reminds me of, of Ben Gibbard's. It's just a weird similarity I can't shake, but still it doesn't impede on my enjoyment. This album also features Rachel Goswell of Slow Dive, whose dreamy and luscious and shoegazy production has no doubt been a huge influence, especially on this new American football album. Her vocal appearance on I Can't Feel You may not exactly be as involved as Haley's, but her gentle and atmospheric and chilly vocals do provide a very nice contrast from the busy and bustling guitars and drums underneath American football kind of throwing it back once again to the math rock roots that so many fans love about their early work. So the guest appearances and generally the production on this album are pretty good, but really it is the quality songwriting that I think puts LP3 far above LP2. The song Air Apparent is another one of my favorite songs on this thing, which sets the stage with these reverb-soaked, cascading guitar lines, this very sudden and smooth transition into a fantastic chorus, bittersweet in its apology for essentially ending a relationship, and if this fantastic little hook isn't enough, there is this really pretty bunch of group female vocals that are brought into the fold toward the end of the track that sing this pretty haunting mantra about uh, sort of being the heir apparent to a throne, the king of all alone. Now, LP3 does not really overstay its welcome that much at 47 minutes. It is also an eight-track album. However, not every one of those tracks, in my opinion, are a highlight. One major downside of this LP, in my opinion, just like LP2, is that occasionally the production on this thing is so dang sterile, clean to the point where it is annoyingly flawless. Some of the guitar soloing and the backing instrumentation on Doom and Full Bloom sounds like something off of a really bad boomer jazz rock record. The kind of album you would love if you just like couldn't stop talking about Jeff Beck and you've invested ten or twenty thousand dollars in a home studio and yet you've never recorded a single track. And that's just the second half of the song. The first leg is actually some really bland, sparkly elevator rock that I just can't stand. The song Mind to Miss is okay. It's one of the jammier cuts on the entire LP and mostly goes by forgettably in just kind of a breezy fashion. I think it's a track that could stand out a lot more with some added instrumental muscle or maybe a stronger tune. And honestly, on the closing track here, I do find the song to be a little winding. I do think the buildup at the first leg of the track is a bit long-winded. However, I do like the way the very direct and lush string section play very steadily against the mathematical guitars in the mix. There's also a pretty haunting refrain at the end of this track that I think ties up this album's themes of uh, breaking up in loneliness well. Overall, LP3 is a very good album and is the record that LP2 should have been. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing American Football grow past this album and hopefully they pick up a bit of grit in the process, find more ways to I guess vary up the sound of their albums track to track, bring more variety. The dreamy and somewhat shoegazy direction the band is moving in on this one also shows quite a bit of promise. I'm feeling a decent two strong seven on this one. And that's going to be it for this episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Thank all of you for listening. Want to give a shout out to Jonah for assembling this episode as well as he did, just like he does every episode of the podcast. Make sure to hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash the needle drop a fantano on Instagram, theneedledrop.com as well to not miss a single piece of content that we put out, youtube.com slash theneedledrop, youtube.com slash fantano. It's, it's all there. It's all there for you. Subscribe, view, all that stuff. And make sure whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, you are rating and commenting and reviewing and subscribing. It helps us out so much, so much, so much. 
We will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you again. Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop Podcast, forever. Forever.